hello and welcome back to Crime Pros. We are here for a, well, it's our first international episode, so that's kind of exciting. So I have a special guest today who was born in the country of Colombia. So please welcome my sister, Angie. Hello, Angie. Hello, Jace. Welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Good. So, Angie, you were born in Colombia and you lived in Bogota for quite a while. Tell us about Colombia. Oh, I lived in Colombia for about 12 years. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, We, this is a true crime show. So we talk a lot in America about crime because there's a lot of it. Um, Was it the same in Colombia? Um, not really. We we don't really talk about it. Interesting. We, um, I don't think I've covered any serial killers on this podcast before. I'm like trying to think. I don't think so. I think this is the first one. So did you know about this Colombian serial killer before we talked about this episode? I, I have heard about him, but like I didn't know anything that he had done before and all this stuff. So not really. Interesting. Well, get ready to learn because this is the story of Luis Alfredo Garavito. Also, for all those listeners out there, a little bit of a trigger warning. This episode talks a lot about a man who did some terrible things to children. And because my sister is also a minor, we have made this a PG-13 episode. But just a heads up, we're talking about kids today. So on January 25th, 1957, Luis Alfredo Garavito is born in Genova, Colombia. Have I said all those words correctly, Angie? (laughs) Yes. Oh, good. Um, So Luis was, uh, he had an abusive father who assaulted him both physically and verbally, and he was bullied at school um, for a lot of different reasons. But some of the things I saw online was that he wore glasses, which like same, I know the struggles. But he also struggled with a lot of subjects in his uh, education. And so he became pretty reclusive because he was bullied and he didn't have very many friends. And then around the age of 11, Luis's father forced him to quit school to get a job to pay his way. But he started working at a local drugstore and was abused by the store's owner too. So now he was suffering abuse at home and at work. Um, and he didn't really have very many friends. And so shortly after this, Luis started to abuse his six younger siblings in similar ways to what he had seen adults do to him his whole life. And he also took out his aggression on small animals, killing and dissecting birds, which is terrifying. As Luis grew into a young man, his problems continued. He became pretty violent and lost many of his jobs when he became physically aggressive at work with co-workers and bosses and customers alike. So he showed an uncontrollable temper and even some pedophilic tendencies. And many of his friends and girlfriends noticed that he was an angry person, but said that overall, he was a kind man. He actually had a lot of romantic relationships and some friends. Um, Some of the women he dated even had kids. And they all said that as long as you didn't get him angry or drunk, he was a pretty nice guy. So he covered up his terrible inside pretty well. 
Now, today we know that Luis suffered from a number of mental illnesses, including psychosis and depression, and he even had symptoms of undiagnosed schizophrenia. He attempted suicide at least once and spent much of his life in mental institutions, especially over his really early adult years. And in 1995, he broke his leg and that caused him to walk with a permanent limp and also is said to have heightened his depression. So he was suffering a lot mentally at the time too and probably wasn't getting the support that he needed. Now, throughout his adulthood, Luis abused children in countless ways that we're not going to get into. Um, but he did keep a list of the children's names in a book and what is so sad is that after he abused these kids, he would then write their names in this book and then he would pray for them because he had a lot of regret over what happened. And he also began to idolize a lot of really terrible things like Adolf Hitler and Satanism. And all of these things combined just really led to a myriad of poor choices. And all of this was a result of the abuse that he suffered and mental illness that was going untreated. And so he had a really rough start and his young adult years were really hard. But on October 2nd, 1992, things got so much worse. On this night, Louis spotted a 13 year old boy walking home alone late that evening. And he offered the boy some money for work um, and learned that his name was Juan Carlos. And there are some reports that say that Luis may have only offered Juan as little as 500 pesos. So that's 13 cents. So homeboy offered little Juan Carlos 13 cents for some work, but Juan trusted him and he went with Luis to a nearby railroad and wasn't seen again until his body was found later on. Now, six days after this, Luis killed a 12-year-old boy named, I think his name's John, J-H-O-N. Is that how you pronounce that? John, yeah. John. So Luis killed 12-year-old John Alexander Peñaranda on a trip to see his own sister, Esther. And this began a spree of murders of kids and teenagers. See, Luis mostly targeted children ages 6 to 16 for his murders, and he focused mostly on boys, but also attacked girls in the country. His favorite targets were the poor and the homeless. And Luis would approach a child he saw on the streets alone, lure them in with the promise of money or candy, and often he was wearing a disguise that these children might trust, like the disguise of a teacher or a priest. And once he had the child's trust, he would lure them away to a private place and torture and abuse and kill them. And these are kids between the ages of six and 16. But even though dozens of children were going missing over several years in Colombia, the authorities remained unaware that there was a serial killer on the loose because during this time, there was a civil war going on and the country had a large homeless population and it was just difficult for them to keep track of who was where and notice when homeless youth started disappearing. But everything changed in 1997, when I was not even a year old, when a mass grave was accidentally discovered with the bodies of 41 people in, I think it's, Pereira, do you know that city or village or town? P -E Pereira. Pereira. Is Pereira. that a big city or a small town? Oh, 
It's like a small town. It's not really big. It's like Medellin. Oh. It's kind of like that, but it's not as big. Oh, even smaller! Wow. So, yeah. so forty-one bodies in this tiny town, and they were all murdered children. Now the police started to investigate, and they started to identify some of these bodies, and they realized that the children were from across the region, across the country, and they did a nationwide investigation. This was 1997, but the investigation really took them nowhere. They could not figure out how these these uh, 41 children were connected or what had happened to them until February 6th. 1999. So two years later, when a sugarcane field caught fire outside of Palmyra, Colombia, and when the fire was put out by authorities, they discovered the bodies of three murdered children, but also evidence. In the field, they found glasses, shoes, money, and clothes, as well as a receipt. And a cigarette, and the police were able to put together what happened. Someone had been hiding bodies in this field when they accidentally caught the field on fire with the cigarette, and they found evidence that this person had actually burned themselves, and so they had probably tried to flee and escape. Um, and left all of their things behind. So, with this theory, the police knew that they could use these items as evidence to help them find their killer. And they were able to connect the bodies they found in the field to the bodies that they found in the mass grave. And they realized this is a serial killer on our hands. So, using the glasses that they found in the field, they learned that the killer had an astigmatism in one eye, and also his shoes indicated that he walked with a limp. So they started to look for maybe people with criminal records in the area of、uh, Palmyra, and. They needed to look for criminals that had a record, that had the astigmatism in one eye, and that had a limp. And so initially, they found a local man. He seemed to fit the description, so they arrested him. And the police thought that their case was closed, but children continued to disappear, and now they were disappearing in Bogota. So, Angie, you grew up in Bogota. Tell us about Bogota. It's a it's a really big city and like is the capital of Colombia, so yeah. It's the capital, so they were getting close to power, and also Bogota is a very first world city, right? Like they have all the modern things that you know, cell phones and skyscrapers and all of those things. So there was more money, and just the way that the world works, it's not right. But any time that You know, if someone poor goes missing, there tends to be less investigation by the police. But when it starts to happen to more affluent people,、um, the police tend to get more concerned. So they started to realize that there were people going missing in Bogota, and pretty quickly, that's when they realized they had、um, arrested the wrong person because children were still going missing. And so they released their initial suspect. But around this same time, Luis. Garavito became a subject in the investigation because one major clue came to light: the receipt from the sugarcane field. 
it had an address printed on it. And this was the address of Luis's girlfriend. So the police go to this address. They interview the person who lives there, the girlfriend. She says, oh, I have this, like, I have this boyfriend who is here sometimes, but like, I don't, I don't think he would do any of this. He's really nice, as long as you don't get him angry. Um, but she's like, I have some of his things. Like, do you want to look through his things? And so the police get to go through some of Luis's belongings and discover evidence that implicates him in these murders, including photographs of some of the victims. And so a manhunt began. Around the same time, Luis was stalking a new victim. And one night he was trying to lure this, uh, I think he was 12 years old, this 12 year old boy, trying to lure him um, away from like a, a busy street to somewhere more private. But a local teenager heard the boy struggling and came to help him. And so there's this teenager now who's like throwing rocks and like insults at Luis. And somehow he manages to get the 12 year old boy free and they escape to a nearby business where they call authorities and ID someone who looks like Luis as their potential kidnapper. So now there's this big hunt. There's people looking separately. The police are looking for someone who tried to kidnap this boy. And police are looking for uh, Luis himself because the girlfriend implicated him and then they found the evidence. So two separate groups of police don't know that they're looking for the same person. And on April 22nd, 1999, just a little more than two months after the fire in the sugarcane field, Luis Garavito was caught and arrested for attempted abduction of the 12-year-old boy. But it wasn't long before the police realized who he was. They realized the connections between the failed kidnapping and the missing child cases and the mass grave that they found. And Luis confessed to all of his crimes. Altogether, Luis Garavito was charged with 172 killings and found guilty of 138 murders. Now, Luis was, are you ready for this? How long, Angie, do you think his life sentence was? Like, how long do you think they wanted him to go to jail for? For 138 murders? I don't know. A thousand years? 1,853 years and nine days sentenced to over 1,800 years in prison, the longest sentence ever handed down in Colombia. But there's a law in Colombia that prohibits sentences that long. Do you know how long the longest prison sentence in Colombia can be? 30 years, I think, or something like that. I don't know. That's really close. It's 40 years. So 40 years is the longest sentence that anyone in Colombia can get. And Luis struck a plea deal with the police um, where essentially he helped them find some of the bodies of the missing children. So they reduced his uh, sentence and he was sentenced to just 22 years in total. 22 years, that's less time than I've been alive. Today, Luis is in prison He's studying to be a politician, and he says he's found God and wants to be a minister. And he will be eligible for parole in 2023, two years from now.
And that is the story of Luis Garavito. Angie, what do you think? I think it's just like really weird, like how he did all those things and he just did it for fun or because he was bored or like he didn't have any feelings to it. And if he did, it was like, um, I can just pray for them, I guess. I don't know. It's weird. It's like really weird. I also think that they should like move him like from Colombia to like a jail here where they can have a sentence for like longer, you know? Interesting. Like they can sentence him longer and like he could die in prison, I guess. That'd be like, yeah. It's wild to me that he only got 22 years in prison that's like one year for every i'm really bad at math but like six murders so that's like getting two months for every murder two months like that's not okay (laughs) and when they like ever had kids i don't think so i didn't see anything about it he wanted to and that's why he dated women who had kids a lot of the time but I never saw anything about him abusing those kids. So he just, just like he just wanted to kill poor kids, I guess, or yeah, kids that he didn't think anyone would notice they went missing. Hmm. Isn't that He's sad? Just... So yeah, it's like why? Like it really is also a reminder that when people are suffering with mental health problems, it's important that we get them the help they need so that things like this don't happen. Not that there's an excuse for what happened. Like, he deserves to be in prison for the rest of his life for it. Absolutely. But it does make you wonder if he got the support he needed. Like, could this have been prevented? I mean, I think it would, like, have been prevented from a young age. Because even his dad even, like, did all this stuff to him. Yeah. His neighbor did it, too. So if it was prevented from a young age... I think things would have been a little bit different, yeah. Yeah. Do you think that um, this case had an impact on Colombia? Like, are people more careful now? Or, like, do they keep their kids at home? Oh, yeah. It's more careful now. Now, I mean, you still see, like, kids on the street. But if you see them, like, they go to, like, institutions or something. Mm. They just don't stay on the street. Do you have any final thoughts before we go i think his shoes still in jail forever (laughs) i agree with that final thought well thank you angie for being today's crime pro and thank you also to everyone who has listened to our episode we hope you enjoyed our first international case and our first serial i think our first serial killer case um you can join us again next week for another episode and then the week after that will be our halloween special and season finale so definitely tune in on the 8th i think it's the 18th the 18th of october um but in the meantime thanks for listening thank you for listening to crime pros make sure to download this episode and subscribe to the show If you like our true crime stories, head over to Apple Podcasts and let us know with a five-star review. Crime Pros is hosted by Jace Lucas and is a production of Amped Media. This week's guest is Angie. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Amped Media Official. See you next week for a new true crime story with a new true crime pro.